let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and for the last time uh, in this series verses 10 to 20 of Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Well, let's pray as we begin. Father, we pray that on a day when morning and evening we will be considering the matter of praying in the context of our church family, that you would teach us why we need to pray and how we should pray and the great privilege of prayer. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, in this passage of Ephesians, Paul is reminding us that we are in a spiritual war as Christians his application is primarily to us as a local church. And the armour he gives to us, or the Lord Jesus gives us supernatural resources, underpinning all that we have, or the foundations, or the, the two big guns, as one commentator writes, are the word and prayer. So the Bible and speaking God's word and prayer. Now the first series I preached as Minister of Chalmers or St. Catherine's as it was then, ten years ago, was the potential of a praying church based on Luke, uh, on the Lord's teaching in Matthew, I think it was on prayer we repeated it in 2015 and tonight I get to preach on Matthew 6 again. And as I said earlier, um, I have rewritten the sermon, just in case you think I 
I don't think I could find it from that long ago anyway. Um, not that I'm going to say radically different things, it's just more fresh on your heart. So here we have a day of prayer, a day on prayer in our church family, morning and evening. Another coincidence, another God arrangement that we didn't try. Why is it important, a day on prayer at the start of a new church year? Well, at the start of the year that Chalmers will plant, it's official now, the lease on the building has been signed, 10 years. It's going to happen. Here's a quote that I came across this week. When a new church begins, it begins on ground formerly occupied by the enemy. Be vigilant, be careful, be excited, be prayerful. A day of prayer at the start of a church year when many of our gospel partners, and we have had the privilege of hearing from them, and if you're new to Chalmers, you will do over the course of this year, they face very significant challenges. A day on prayer at the start of a year when we cannot and must not take our unity for granted. A day on prayer when we will be, as Roger and I will explain in more detail on Tuesday, looking as a church, and as a church corporately, although it takes all of us to be part of that, to take one step forward in two things. Speaking the truth in love, to one another and speaking the truth to those who aren't Christians. One step forward, not a giant step, one step. A day on prayer. And a day on prayer at the start of a year when as a church family, in every small group, in every home, in every life, behind every door, blue, green, red or black, whatever colour your door is, whatever your life is, there will be struggles, difficulties, joys and sorrows and spiritual warfare and you need to know and you just need scrub out the to know you need your church family to be standing with you in prayer and they need you. Now here's what would be a disaster this morning that I send you home and I send preachers send themselves home after sermons too because you preach it to your own soul, we go home and we feel guilty or that we've lost traction with our prayers and that uh, uh, there's a kind of legalistic response. That's a disaster. I want to be sending you away home thinking, it's wonderful that I'm in a church family and these people pray for me and I want to pray for them and together we will stand and keep uh, strong. Just to encourage you, when we have our prayer times on Fridays as staff, we split into boys and girls and um, uh, we, uh, uh, we ask for personal prayer. And every week somebody says, please can you pray for me in my, 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 my times alone with God, my, my prayer life. I mean, that might shock you, but that's just reality. It's reality. We need to keep praying for each other. Here's a text I had from someone this week who was feeling overwhelmed with the responsibilities of ministry. Um, and in my answer, I, I quoted these words to him because I was thinking about this for the sermon. When you feel overwhelmed, remember, God does not want you ever to do a day of ministry in your own strength. And when you forget that and do it in your own strength, the Lord 
is not going to try and teach you a lesson as much as he is going to be still at your back and others will be praying. Now, so it's important. Let's look at verse 18 first in detail. Let me read it again and notice the repeated words and uh, uh, Paul divides it up into four chunks. It's obvious, I think. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Supplication just means asking. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. All times, all prayer, all perseverance, all the saints, for alls, all the armour, all prayer, all the time. Because the battle never, ever ceases. Sometimes it wages strongly, but the battle never ceases. How do you know? My battle, your battle with sin doesn't cease until we're with Jesus. Our battles with doubts, the opposition, difficulties, our reluctance, our inability, our lack of boldness in evangelism, that doesn't cease. There are seasons, but it's always happening. Praying at all times in the Spirit, what does that mean? It means what it says. A constancy in prayer. The spiritual battle goes on all the time, so there needs to be a constancy in prayer. Let me just apply it corporately to us as a church. What does it mean to pray at all times in the Spirit? Well, here's how we cut the cloth here. There are other ways, but here's perhaps a normal way. We pray when we meet on Sundays. A group prays before the services and Sunday mornings for the services. They pray that the preachers will be clear and not cluttered. They pray for their kids' work the people in the band, and so on and so forth. We pray before an evening service on a Sunday for people in the church family. When our small groups meet, they pray. When our children and young people meet in groups, they pray. The band prays before it practices impact. The team pray before impact. When we meet as elders, we always pray. We always pray. Once a month, the whole church family meets to pray. There are prayer letters on the go all of the time from our gospel partners. We pray when we meet people. We pray in our homes, in our families. We pray ourselves. So prayer is just everywhere. I should encourage you. And this rhythm, these opportunities to pray carry on year after year. And it's good, I think, in a church that we have a a practical, sensible approach to prayer in lots of different contexts because we're all busy people. And it's not about uh, you've got to turn up at that meeting or or this meeting. I mean, the once a month one is when you get most information. But not everyone can come because of life and jobs and stuff. But there are lots of ways you can plug into praying. Lots of ways you can pray. Um, At all times, in the spirit, not as a religious thing, a tradition. It's, it's, it's necessary, it's vital, it's essential. So here's, here's, a, here's a, a, a scenario. What would happen if we stopped praying as a church for a month in all these different contexts and never ever try it? It's a hypothetical question. What would happen? Well, here's what we must never forget might happen. Nothing might happen because God in his grace and mercy doesn't let us fall apart. Yep. But what might probably will happen is by the end of that month, 
we might not think we need to pray anymore. It's very easy to think that if we stop praying, we'll rush back to God in prayer. I'm not sure that's true. People who, who walk away from God or drift away from God, they do it and they don't usually stop that process for a long, long time. Our guard would come down, our alertness, our readiness, our conscious, the battle we are in, we would slide into casualness and indifference and the devil's foothold would become a stronghold and little divisions would become big fissures and fissures would become cracks and cracks would become crevasses and then we fall into them. So please do not try that experiment. Moreover, to pray at all times in the Spirit, you don't have to have a meeting on a set time to pray. It helps, helps me to have a meeting, it helps me to have my quiet time at a certain time and I put it in the diary and I show up or not. It helps to have rhythm. But we can pray all of the time. You can pray during a sermon. Why would you pray during a sermon? Because the preacher is incoherent. Or because you look across the room and you see someone's head. This is a prayerful posture. This is not. You ever thought of that on a Sunday night? I get sleepy. Dear Lord Jesus, that person looks tired. Help them to keep awake. Do you think the devil is beyond hindering us from listening to God's voice by falling asleep? Of course he's not. Just sensible stuff. Just pray, Lord Jesus, that they'll keep awake. Or look around you in a church or look at the backs of people's heads. It's quite hard, actually, to work out what to pray from the back of a head, but you know that person. They're in your small group, perhaps. You know what's going on in their life. We get to a bit in the sermon and that, goodness me, that just hits the mark. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that at this moment they will really, really be listening to you. Or at a point where you know somebody needs to listen to something that's being said and there's a high chance that the devil will say to them, you don't need to listen to this, that's not true, it applies to them and not, and you pray for them, please Lord Jesus, will you help that person to listen? Or you might just pray generally for the congregation thinking, goodness me, uh, in the first service, which was a noisy service, there were all these parents with all these kids and it must have been carnage before they got here this morning. Please, Lord Jesus, will you help them to be settled and listen? Because this is the one time in a week that that family, because the husband's not a Christian, and the only way that the mum can, can get to church is once a week. It's the one time in the week that she's going to hear from God with her believers around her. So why don't you pray for her when you see her? It's that kind of normalness to praying that matters. But don't pray all of the time in the sermons, all of you, because then no one would listen. No, I pray when I'm preaching. You might find that hard to understand because I'm a man and I can do only one thing at once. What does it mean? I sort of stop and I think in my head there's that person, but I see you and I see your faces and, and, and the Holy Spirit in my heart will, will kind of fire up the arrow shots to God saying them now or, or them now here's a practical suggestion praying at all times in the spirit uh, when you say to people as I do and you do it with sincerity as I hope I do I'm going to pray for you let me pray for you 
Here's a practical thing. When that happens, over the course of today, write it down on the back of your hand, on a bit of paper, or on your phone, and uh, um, by the end of the day, before the sun goes down, pray for them. By the end of that day. By the end of that day. And don't ever think that praying when you walk the dog, or praying when you run, or praying and singing in the shower, is any less spiritual than coming to a prayer meeting or standing behind a lecture and praying in a church service. It's all the same stuff. Praying at all times in the Spirit with, second, all prayer. Or as the NIV has, I think, all kinds of prayer. I think all kinds of prayer is helpful at getting at what Paul means. The Bible commands a whole range of prayers. Prayers of adoration or praise. Prayers of confession. Prayers of thanksgiving. Prayers for others. What are these prayers? Prayers of adoration. God, you are great. Prayers of confession. God, I am not. Prayers of thanksgiving. Thank you for showing me that I am not and that you are and forgiving me. Prayers for others. Lord Jesus, help these people. Never think prayer needs to be caught up in, as we'll see tonight, many words. Prayers of supplication, petitioning God, asking, knocking, seeking, expressing our needs to God over small things. Rog uh, would have prayed this morning for little things. You pray for little things and you baby that's born. Those who can have children. Would God be concerned with that? And then what did he pray for? Hong Kong. The peace of the Middle East. Tonight we'll look at the Lord Jesus teaching on what to pray. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What does that mean? You will be done on earth. Give us today our daily bread. May the Lord Jesus return. And can you provide for me today what I need? All fused together in this wonderful, wonderful gift of prayer. All kinds of prayer as a church family, in all the different contexts of church family life. Let's endeavour to keep a biblical balance in our prayer life as a church. All kinds of prayer. And as I said a moment ago, praying out loud, praying with simple words, praying long prayers or short prayers, doesn't much matter. There's always a riot if you pray a long prayer at a mealtime before the meal. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this food. We relish and adore you for your greatness and your glory. And, and then you go on and the cheese sauce gets hard. There's a wisdom and a common senseness to all of this. Praying out loud, praying long prayers, praying short prayers, praying with stumbling words, praying in silence. Praying by groaning. Let me pause on groaning. Listen to these words from Romans. Like Ephesians written by Paul. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
Here's a prayer that is close to groaning. Why? Or why, O Lord? Or you often get this at the beginning of the psalm. Oh. Oh. God. That's a prayer that's close to groaning. And groaning is one step further on or in. Just no words. Just groaning. The kind of praying that goes on at a graveside or in a dark pit or when you are afraid. And in that place of groanings too deep for words, the Spirit of Jesus is there interceding for us, telling God what we need, which is a wonderful thing. So when you are in a real pit, and there's always someone in a church family there, always, 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 often many people, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. But so also, in a church family, there is the likelihood, the probability, and God willing in Chalmers, the certainty, that other people will be praying for you. Why is it that when someone in a church family is gravely ill, and they walk, or a loved one walks through the valley of the shadow of death, they are secure in their faith, as they always are in my experience. Answer one, because of the grace of Jesus. But alongside that, because everybody is praying. There are people in this room, there always are, for whom these words are true. There's somebody here who the Spirit is helping in their weakness, for they do not know what to pray. But the Spirit intercedes for them with groanings too deep for words. They are crying out, Why God? And the Holy Spirit is taking that why to God on their behalf and asking God to intercede for that person according to his will. Now knowing that is going on in this room, as it is now, helps us as a church to pray for one another. So your prayer might be coming to church on a Sunday. Lord Jesus, there will be someone in that room this morning. I don't know who they are. Maybe you will though. I don't know who they are. And they are at the end of themselves. Lord Jesus. Maybe when we sing. Or when we pray. May there be a word for them. And when the sermon comes, wouldn't it be wonderful if it can just speak right into their heart? That's a church family. And all we need to do to think like that is just apply this stuff practically and sensibly. Even if you don't know in whose life that is happening, it is happening. And of course, if you do know it is happening, that's why it matters so much to them 
that you're here on a Sunday. It's not about legalism. It's about, it's about them seeing you. It's about you sitting beside them after the service and saying, I've been praying for you, how are you? Do you know the difference that makes to people is extraordinary? Following up with stuff. It really matters. I was in a, 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 a complex situation for much of yesterday. And on my way there on the train, every five minutes or so, I got a text from some friends and some elders. What a difference that makes. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, that's a tough one, to keep on praying. There are different dimensions to perseverance. There's the perseverance of year on year on year on year in church to keep on praying because the battle keeps going on. I mean, it's extraordinarily difficult to be at battle stations all of the time. And I guess in a military sphere, you have different shades of alert. And that's true in a Christian life. There are times when the clouds break and let's let the sun shine on our backs. But the battle never stops. So the praying should never stop. And almost certainly in two or three years' time when the dust has settled, somebody in the church will say, what about planting another church? And here we go again. But that's right. It's hard, I think, to persevere when there is little evidence of progress. I find that hard. Little evidence of progress in evangelism, for example. And the toughest of all, perhaps, is the challenge of keeping on praying in the day-to-day, hand-to-hand combat of Monday through Friday, for most of us here, most of you here, out there in a pretty hostile, difficult world, on the battlefield, the day-to-day, hand-to-hand combat of the gristmill of life, it's hard to keep on praying for opportunities, for humility, for control of your tongue, for, for not being sucked in. And then there's the sin life, the temptations, the doubt, the worry, the discouragement. How do you keep on persevering? Answer always, first, by God's grace. God gets you going. God keeps you going. He's at your back. He's behind you and he's in you. God's grace helps us and by being in a church. And by being in a church. Here are some of the questions people who know me well around me in the church ask. Why were you grumpy? Why are you grumpy again? Are you okay? Are you okay? How are you getting on in your prayer life? Are you loving your family? How's your evangelism? Why are you looking so exhausted again? Are you okay? That's just normal stuff that goes on. That's how you keep going. And of course, praying for one another is how we keep going. We all of us have periods of struggle in our prayer lives, laxness, indifference, weariness, not perseverance, but others will be praying in the church family. 
So as a church, we keep on persevering in prayer. Not all of us are persevering at all at the same time, but as a church, we keep on persevering. And they carry you, and there are times that you will carry them. That's not a reasonable excuse to not bother to let others stand in the breach, but it happens all of the time. It's just real. We need each other. We need each other. I need you. You need me. You need each other. We all need each other. And we have each other. Isn't that great? Thank God for each other. Why do we need to persevere and to consciously work at it that we keep alert? As I said, um, we're always on guard. All times, all prayer, all perseverance. Lastly, uh, for all the saints. Who are the saints? We are the saints. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, Paul writes, to the church family. Every single believer within the church family is a saint. Hard to believe, isn't it? We're two things. We're saints and we're sinners. Forgiven sinners. We're all saints. And Paul is encouraging them to pray for one another. In the church family, in our church family, a whole network of prayer for one another. One of the great reasons to have small groups is it gives you the chance to speak the truth in love to one another. It gives you the chance to pray for one another. It builds knowledge. It builds uh, prayer. A church growing to spiritual maturity speaks the truth in love. A church growing to spiritual maturity asks questions and prays for one another. And not just for those who are physically here on a Sunday or in a small group or at other meetings during the week. Our church family includes people Here's three categories. People who are overseas, you know about them. Do you think they depend on your prayers? Sometimes I will Skype with one of them and they've got an email or they've got a a message or a letter and it's just made a massive difference to them. What's made a massive difference is a line in a letter because it's true. We are praying for you. Just remind them of what's happening. There are people overseas that we are connected with in our church family. There are people who would love to be here but can't be here because they are too old to be here. They can't manage to sit through a service on a chair. They can't do it anymore. Like Mary Burke. Many of you pray for Mary. You don't know her. You haven't met her. Where else in the world would that happen? Dear Lord Jesus, will you bless Mary this morning? Mary, you'll be listening online. She will be. We love you. We're praying for you. And there are people who could be here, but aren't here. They need our prayers, don't they? Lord Jesus, I've not seen that person for a while. Will you help me to find a way to get in touch with them? Will they answer my text? Will I say the right thing? Will you bring them back? Will you work in their life? And let me just say, on all that kind of stuff, as we pray for all the saints here, You're going to have to learn, we all have to learn to put our foot in it. Because not all the situations are easy, are they? You're going to have to sort of break the ice and contact somebody or say, uh, can I pray for you? What's wrong? It's kind of risky, but it's worth it. It's worth it. But praying for all the saints means charmers. It also means every Christian on the planet So, for example, some of you will have read in Christian literature or maybe even uh, on the secular media media of 
the slaughter of a whole village of the Dogon people in Mali. Remember when Richard and Jen were here, they talked about Wycliffe uh, pushing the gospel out into the Dogon region in Mali, a whole family this size, 120 people, men, women, children, slaughtered. But we can pray. We can pray for the Christians in the Dogon region not to leave. To speak to people of Jesus, to love them, to care for them. Because we know what an extraordinary thing it is that we are not only interested in foreign policy when it comes to the gospel, but we are engaged in it as participants. We can pray with knowledge. Praying at all times in the Spirit for all the saints. Now, we're doing fine. The last bit of our time, verses 19 to 20. Wonderful verses as Paul wraps up this teaching on spiritual resources for spiritual warfare. Paul asks the church to pray for him. It's very moving this. He says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, think of the extraordinary influence of the Apostle Paul. Missionary to the Gentiles church founder and planter, Saint Paul, the subject of numerous pictures, paintings. Here's the real Paul. Please pray for me. No empty words, utterly sincere in his dependence on them to pray for him. Paul is frail flesh and blood. And if you read Paul's letters, there is a vulnerability to him. We're going to be on a 2 Timothy on Sunday nights this term, two weeks' time. Paul writes with deep feeling about those who have deserted him in his ministry. And he's saying to Timothy, look, everyone in the province of Asia deserted me. Are you going to? And when this fellow comes, tell him to bring my cloak because I'm cold. He's vulnerable. And he's vulnerable to temptation and sin, such that he says in Romans, wretched man that I am. He's vulnerable to pride and conceit. Paul's own explanation as to why God has not taken the thorn out of his flesh, whatever it was, to keep him, in Paul's words, from conceit. And there were times in Paul's ministry when he was completely overwhelmed. Listen to this. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. There are ministers of the gospel that you know who are in Asia, who could echo his words, we are utterly burdened beyond our strength. Paul is at an end of himself. But then as these verses go on in 2 Corinthians, he remembers that people are praying. Here's Spurgeon, 
a great preacher of the Victorian era who had extraordinary impact. This is Spurgeon writing to his congregation after being absent for a period of months due to physical illness and depression. Dear friends, the furnace still blows around me. Since I last preached to you, I have been brought very low. My spirit has been prostrate with depression. You do pray for me, I know. But I entreat you never to cease your supplications. For I am as a potter's vessel when it is utterly broken, useless and laid aside. Nights of watching and days of weeping have been mine. But I hope the cloud is passing. In this relative trial, a very keen one, you have been praying. I again ask you, pray for me. I pray for you, your suffering pastor, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon is vulnerable. Paul is vulnerable. Ministers are vulnerable. Preachers are vulnerable. We are all vulnerable. And Paul is, in his vulnerability, also humble. Again and again, in Paul's letters, he says, will you pray for us? Will you pray for me? Humility is so important for Christian leaders and ministers. Pray for us. Pray for me. That is not a sign of weakness. Nor is it a sign of humiliation for a Christian minister to say, pray for me. It is a sign of strength and humility. Notice that Paul's prayer is specific. In its vulnerability and its humility, he prays that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What does Paul ask him to pray for? Not for his liberation from prison, but for the proclamation of the gospel. That's what those called to set apart to preach need to ask prayer for. Paul's not asking for help with his words as if he doesn't have a good grasp of vocabulary. He's not asking for help with his eloquence or with his alliteration or with his introduction, his hook or his illustrations. He's asking for what uh, an older translation would call utterance or conviction. Now the conviction of a preacher comes first and foremost when the preacher preaches the word of God. You cannot be convicted as a preacher unless you hold the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. Paul knows that though, but he's praying for something else. He is praying for the Holy Spirit to so deeply impress the truth on his own soul that when he speaks he will not merely be saying something but have something to say. It's very different. You need to pray that we will not stand up here and say something on a Sunday. There is something to say and the something to say must be what the Bible says. 
because that's God's voice. But it must be attended with that word to impact our hearts and our affections so that it does with you. Now call it what you will. Paul said, when I came to you in Corinth, we did not come with eloquent words, but with power and weakness and fear and trembling. It's the same as Ephesians 6 here. Not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and His power. Convolit what you will. Conviction, anointing, unction, engaging with the affections. What is it? It is a preacher convicted deeply of their own vulnerability, because people know that are praying for them, weakness and sinfulness. It is a preacher not confused between humility and humiliation. And therefore deeply convicted in their own soul of the message they are to preach and with a deep, deep love for the people they are preaching to and with an even deeper love for Jesus who loves them and has saved them and sent them to preach. That's what Paul is asking them to pray for. And it only happens if the preacher preaches the real gospel. And so he adds, pray for boldness in preaching the gospel. And let's never ever think that it's easy to preach the gospel or to speak the gospel. Let's never test out a Sunday or a Monday or a Tuesday when we are all out there speaking the gospel or looking for opportunity, let's never test out, uh, uh, perhaps we'll have a go this week with our praying. Never think that Roger or me or Johnny or Sam, never ever think that we might not bottle it one day and not preach the gospel anymore. Never assume that we will go on. So here's what I must say. And if Roger were here, he would say this, and Sam, pray for me. Will you pray for us every week? If the word of God and prayer are the big guns in spiritual warfare, then people who are set apart to labour in preaching and teaching are in the heat of the battle. That's what we're ordaining Sam to. Ordination's not magic. We're just saying, Sam, your job, we're going to set you apart, we're going to protect you, and we're even going to pay you, is to preach, and to shepherd, and to lead. But at the very heart of it all is preaching. Because how do you shepherd? With the word. How do you lead? Under Christ, whose church it is, through his words. Ministers, preachers, are in the heat of the battle because that's their day job. They are, as Paul writes, ambassadors in chains, and they are shackled, hindered, held back by the word of the word of God. The gospel is proclaimed. So, so what are the shackles? What are the darts? What are the thorns in all of our flesh? What has God given us to stop us being conceited? The vulnerability, the, the humility, or the need for that—all of that is necessary for one thing: that the that the that the chains come off the word. And on a Sunday, or in a small group, or whatever. Because people are praying for the preacher and for each other, that nothing gets in the way of the Word of God penetrating every soul and heart. And so for preachers and ministers, will you pray for us? For we are vulnerable. I hope you know that. That we will be humbled if we are not already. 
that we will never be weary of asking for prayer. Pray that we will have something to say, not simply say some things. And pray that we will never ever think that having something to say in any way, shape or form is anything other than to do with preaching the word that God has given us and the gospel. Pray for boldness. Pray we'll be ambassadors for Christ. Pray that we will not be ashamed of his chains or ours. And pray that we will never want to be free of those chains if that for a minute would hinder the proclamation of the gospel. Pray for the preachers in this church. Pray for the preachers connected with this church. Pray for the preachers training in this church. Pray for the preachers, the ministers of the gospel in Scotland. Pray for the next generation and the next generation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the Apostles' reminder about ministry, but we want to go back in our minds now to all that he has said about praying for one another in the church family. Help us, Lord, all of us, to take one step forward in speaking the truth in love. One step forward in speaking the truth to those who aren't Christians. And one step forward, perhaps, in coming to a Sunday service, vigilant and alert of what's going on, and just looking around us and sensing stuff and saying, please, Lord Jesus, will you help that person? Will you help them? Help us, Lord, to be that kind of church. Thank you for the great, great joy and privilege of standing together in the battle. Help us, Lord, to relish the family of Christ that you have given to us here. For Jesus' sake. Amen.